Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Happy Mother's Day. I know we were doing our mom giveaways, but I just want to say Happy Mother's Day to everyone in the room and to those watching online as well. I have my mama in the room today, so I want to say Happy Mother's Day to her. And my bonus mom, my stepmom, she couldn't be here today, but I know she's going to be watching online later. And of course, my mother-in-law as well. So I have some incredible moms that are here with me today. And listen, moms, I just hope you feel extra loved and celebrated because you deserve it. Moms are incredible. The things moms go through are unlike anything else. Um, You know, what's so funny is, (laughs) hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Um, What's so funny is, you know, when, when Randy and I got married, I became a bonus mom. You know, the two amazing kids to Adrian and Aubrey. And I'm the oldest of six kids in a blended family. And so I, of course, I helped raise the younger ones. So when I became a mom, I thought I was going to be like a rock star because I did pretty good helping raise my younger siblings. And um, I always have had a great relationship with Adrian and Aubrey, and I'm so thankful for that. So I thought, you know, when I have my own, I'm going to be like phenomenal because I'm pretty good at this. And little did I know, (laughs) little did I know um, how hard it would be, but also how much joy it would bring. As Randy was sharing a little bit, that story about Bennett, he came in our room Tuesday night and he's like, Mommy, I puked in my bed. And I'm like, here we go. And judging by the look of his pajamas, I knew it was going to be really, really bad. So I got his PJs off. I got him in the shower in our bathroom. And when I was walking down the hallway to his and Emmett's bedroom, I'm like praying all the way down the hallway because I knew it was going to be brutal. And then poor Emmett is still asleep in the bottom bunk. So I just turned on the hallway light um, so I could just kind of assess the situation. And just the smell alone hit me in the face as soon as I got to the doorway And I was like, okay, this is going to be bad. And I was like, take a deep breath. You can do it. So I go in, and thankfully I didn't see like a trail of sickness yet. I was expecting to see a trail all the way down the house, but it wasn't that way. And I climb the top bunk. I climb the ladder. And when I got up there, the scene that I saw was terrible. (laughs) And I'll spare you the full details, but like Randy was saying, it probably, it took me almost an hour to clean it. Um, it was on his bed sheets, on his pillow, on his blanket, on his mattress cover, on his foam mattress, on the bed slats underneath his mattress, on his bed frame, on the wall that the bunk bed is against, on Emmett's comforter sheets, on Emmett's bed slats, on the floor, on the pillow seat next to their bed, and the dresser. It had covered it all. And sometimes as moms, you know, I don't know how we stomach things like that and how we get through those moments, but I just had to because my my baby was sick. It ended up being a really, really long night um, for all of us. Poor Emmett, you know, ended up waking up, which I was glad because I needed to turn the light on to get everything cleaned up really well. And uh, the boys and I slept in the living room and it was just like so crazy. But we experience these moments as moms that are just so insane sometimes that somehow God just gives us the strength to get through it. And then this is kind of an embarrassing story. 
another mom moment for you before I jump in the word. Um, on Friday, I picked Bennett up from school, and at his little preschool, there's not a car line. Like, you get out and walk to the classroom and get them. So I was waiting in line at his classroom door. I was, like, third in line. His teacher comes out, and she's so sweet. Like, she's the nicest lady. She's so sweet and cute. And she's like, hey, just so everybody knows, there's mom questionnaires in your child's folder. You know, like, those mom's questionnaires that kids fill out for Mother's Day and it's like so cute it's like how old's my mom she's 74 years old like they just say funny things and I had gotten in it the day the day before so I was like okay I can't wait to see Bennett's so what did he say about me um and so she's talking about it and then after she said that she looked at me and she goes I need to explain something to you and I was like okay and so then I got I was I got to the door and then she was talking to me about some other stuff, and I was like, maybe she wasn't talking to me. And uh, I was like, did you need to talk to me about something? She goes, yeah, but you need to come in my room. And usually she'll talk to me outside, like pull me aside. So I was like, what is going on? I'm looking at Bennett like, did you do something? Um, and he's really good at school. He's never gotten in trouble one time. So he's looking at me like, mommy, did I do something? I don't know what's going on. So we both feel like we're in trouble. And we walk in, and she's like, listen. When we do these questionnaires, we just write down what the kids say. That's we, they, we ask them the question, and whatever they say, we write it down. And I'm thinking, I haven't even seen the questionnaire yet. It's still in his folder in his backpack. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what in the world is this questionnaire going to say? And so number nine on the questionnaire says, uh, what kind of movies and shows does your mom watch? Does your mom like to watch? And Bennett's response was adult shows. <laughs> and she said, she said, listen, we just want you to know, we don't think you watch those kinds of adult shows. And I said, well, I would hope not. So, you know, she knows in our house we have, like, a wide range of age group, you know, with our kids. Our oldest is 22. Our youngest is three. And I was like, I don't even call them that. I call them big kid shows. We have big kid shows and we have little kid shows. And I was like, where did he get this? But it ended up being just so funny. And moms, we go through funny moments and hard moments and embarrassing moments and just all these crazy things. But it's such a joy to be a mom. And as Randy was saying uh, a few moments ago, I know that this holiday isn't always easy to celebrate for everyone, even for me. It's, it's a challenge because my mom has lost a child. She lost my little brother when he was nine, and a lot of you know our story about that. And so it's hard, you know, because I know it's, it's very heavy for her on this day. In, on Mother's Day 2015, um, we were planning to announce our first pregnancy to our family. And then on that very day, I ended up miscarrying our first baby. And so with this day, even for myself, I know that it could come with a lot of grief and a lot of heaviness. And it can just be a reminder of devastation and loss. You know, Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And just for anyone feeling that today in this room or online, I just want you to know that God is close to you. And I just pray that he would just be your healer, your comforter, your soother today. I just pray that his presence would be like a soothing medicine to your heart. Amen. Amen. Can we pray before we jump in the word? God, I thank you. For this day, God, I thank you for this opportunity, God. God, just to speak your word. God, I pray, Lord, 
that it wouldn't be my words today, but your words, God. God, let your words, God, pierce the hearts of people in this room. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us today. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in this room. God, let me just be a vessel for you. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys ready? <laughs> All right, let's jump right in. Um, if I could give today's message a title, it would simply be revival. And specifically, we're going to talk about how our spiritual lives can be revived. And I know we hear the word revival in environments like this and in church and in church circles, and it's easy to get really, really excited. We hear all the time about how we need revival, and we do. I agree. We need revival in, in a big way. But to have a spiritual movement requires a great awakening. And the problem is that we have, we have churches full of Christian corpses, full of bodies who believe in God, full of bodies who love God, but bodies who are spiritually lifeless, spiritually dead. So before we can experience a spiritual revival as far as a great move of God in our church and in our community and in our nation and in our schools, I think it's important to assess the condition of our own spiritual lives. And a perfect image of what this looks like and how our lives can be revived is in Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 14 today. And I'm sure this passage will be familiar to you. It's about the Valley of Dry Bones. Um, and I remember even as a little girl, my pastor growing up, he, he would preach from this passage more than any other passage. It was like his favorite. I told Randy, I was like, I kind of don't want to preach about it because it's like a lot of people preach about it. Randy's like, really? I haven't heard that many sermons on it. And I was like, well, maybe it's just my pastor. Um, and before we begin reading it, I just want to give you some historical context about what's going on so that you can understand what's going on in the scripture. This passage is about a vision that God gave to the prophet Ezekiel, and this vision dates back to a period of Israel's history known as the Babylonian exile. And the exile from the promised land happened to the Israelites as a punish punishment for idolatry and rebellion against God. And they lost everything. The Jewish temple was destroyed. Um, Jerusalem was left in ruins. They were taken captive by Babylon. And so these were dark, difficult times for the Israelites. And really, their ultimate loss was just like losing touch with what God's intended purpose was for them. They were diverted from their calling and they were suffering with consequences because of their disobedience. And so when God gives Ezekiel this prophetic vision, I want you to keep in mind that these bones we're going to read about symbolize a very hopeless and a defeated nation of Israel. And these are Ezekiel's people. He is a part of this exile time. So, so he is feeling all this heaviness um, that these bones kind of symbolize. Let's read Ezekiel 37. I'm going to go ahead and read all the way through uh, 1 through 14. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. 
He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open up your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So this is a powerful vision. And Ezekiel, it's like God takes Ezekiel and he's like kind of putting him in this vision. We're going to kind of break this down verse by verse and just talk about it. At the onset of the vision, God sets Ezekiel in the middle of a valley. And you have to understand that uh, valleys typically were scenes of battle in the Old Testament. So this is battleground that God is placing Ezekiel in. And keep in mind that when an army was defeated in Bible times, the victorious soldiers would often strip them of their valuables and then leave the enemy's bodies unburied. In remote places where there had been serious battles, skeletons sometimes, bones would remain for years afterward. So Ezekiel lived at a time when one could find literal valleys of bones like this, places where the slain enemy had been overwhelmed and there was no one to bury them. But this prophetic vision, this valley is full of dry bones. And I like to, when I was a teacher, I'd always tell my students, I want you to picture in your mind what I'm saying, make a movie in your mind about what's going on. And when I was kind of thinking about this, I was kind of thinking about the elephant graveyard and the Lion King. You guys know what I'm talking about? But instead of elephant bones, we have human bones going on, a valley full. It's important to recognize that in verse 2, that uh, God is very specific about how the bones are described. They're described as very dry. And I don't know much about bones, but I know dry bones aren't just dead. They're long dead. And usually when something has been long dead, there's no hope that there will be restoration of life again. Also in verse 2, I think it's important to, to notice that God led Ezekiel, Ezekiel a back and forth among them. He had him pacing back and forth at the bones that covered the valley floor. So God must have really wanted Ezekiel to take in this scene of what's going on. 
Let's look to verse 3. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And I love Ezekiel's response to God because he knew this question was kind of crazy. Like, okay, God, I'm in a valley of dry bones, very dry bones as you described. Um, And so, you know, (laughs) you see the situation that's going on here. But what I love about Ezekiel is he doesn't put his hope and how old these bones are. He doesn't put his hope in the level of dryness that they have or or how long they've been there. Instead, he says, God, only you know, which means he's putting his hope in God and whatever God says that these bones can do. And I want to ask you this morning, what are you putting your hope in? Is your hope in the circumstance that is surrounding you that seems impossible or unrestorable, like it's a lost cause, because if it is, then your hope is in very long dead bones. It's like you've already put a situation to rest because it seemed too big or because it's been going on for too long. And I think we have to be careful not to put hope in what we think our circumstance is capable or incapable of. And Ezekiel didn't even know what God was going to say or do next. Yet even in the unknowing, he says, God, I don't know, but you do. His hope was, that is what, was what God could do no matter what it looked like. And let me tell you something. Sometimes we think that we have to know all the answers, right? Like we want to be problem solvers. We want to, as a mom, I want to fix everything. If something's going on with my kids, I'm like, okay, are they sick? Do they need to go to school? What do I got to do? Like I want to be able to fix it on my own. And God created us to be problem solvers and that's okay. But sometimes we just need to say, God, I don't know. We don't have to have it all figured out. God, I don't know, but surely you do. God, I don't know how to get through this season of grief and loss, but surely you do. God, I don't know how I'm going to be able to provide for my family financially, but surely you do. God, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it, but surely you do. God, I don't know how to overcome this battle of depression and loneliness, but surely you do. If we want spiritual revival in our lives, we have to put our hope in the one who knows. Verses four through six. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And listen, Ezekiel already told God, God, only you know if these bones can live. He's already shown like incredible faith. He's putting his hope in the one who knows. And now God wants Ezekiel to be the one to prophesy to the dry bones. And I'm going to be honest, if I was Ezekiel, I would have been like, God, how about you do it instead? Because they're probably going to listen to you better than they're going to listen to me. What you're asking me to do feels a little bit too big. I'm not qualified to do something like this. I'm not certified in prophesying over dead bones. I'm not credentialed in bringing dry bones back to life. 
But Ezekiel had so much faith and boldness. And in verse 7, he did just as God asked without hesitation. God said it and he did it. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Ezekiel. He obeyed God even when it didn't make sense. How many of you love it when your children obey? It's like the best feeling, right? (laughs) Our little guys, of course they're learning. You know, we don't have, they're not exactly obeying without hesitation like Ezekiel. Um, But Emmett, you know, he's three. And something he really loves to do is he takes his shoes off every time we're in the car. And if we're on a longer road trip and he takes his shoes off, of course, you know, I don't mind. But in our day-to-day coming and going, I want him to keep his shoes on because every time he takes his shoes off, it takes me more time to get them back on him. Like, and then we're in and out of the car and shoes are on and off, on and off. And um, this is like a battle that him and I have every single day. Not to mention if he takes his shoes off after school, I have 14 pounds of sand and mulch in my back seat. So I'm always like, Emmett, keep your shoes on, keep your shoes on. And uh, the other day, we were riding home from school, and I got Bennett out first, and I went around to Emmett's side, and I was getting him out of the car, and he looked at me just with the biggest smile, and he said, Mommy, I kept my shoes on. <laughs> and I looked at his feet, because I hadn't even, I'm just so used to him taking them off. Like, some days I'm like, go ahead, Emmett, like, you're going to anyways. <laughs> so I looked at his feet, and sure enough, his shoes were on his feet, and I was so excited, I almost ran laps around the car. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't do that, but I said, hallelujah. And he raised his hands. He said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't tell you about that, but he did. And I was, I was excited because, not just because he was obedient. I was excited because he was obedient when it didn't make sense. Because his little mind doesn't understand, mommy, I'm not walking around anywhere. You know, why, why can't I have my shoes off? To him, he thinks, I'm just sitting in the car. I'm not even walking anywhere. I can have my shoes off. And even when it didn't make sense, he still honored what I asked. And God wants our obedience even when it doesn't make any sense. He feels the same way about you and I. He loves it when we obey. And I think he's called us to obey, to obey him even when it doesn't make sense. Verses 7 through 8 say, So I prophesied as I was commanded, And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So as he started to prophesy, the bones are rattling. Uh, They're being stirred from death to life. And the Bible doesn't specifically say, but I think we can certainly assume that the bones assembled themselves properly as skeletons because when God restores, he puts things back together the right way. So I want you to kind of get an image of what this looks like because this isn't just one body that's coming back to life. He describes it later as a vast army. 
So 206 bones assembled together for each body that God was bringing back to life in that valley. Tendons were attached to them, which serve to move our bones. Ligaments, the connective tissue that attaches bone to bone, that holds bone together to keep them stable, were attached. Flesh and skin then covered the bones. And these bodies now have everything in place. Their formation is is whole, yet they're still laying on the valley floor. Outwardly, everything's looking really good, but they can't get up because they lack the breath of God. And I think so many of us have found ourselves in that place where outwardly we think we're doing pretty good, but we can't get up because we lack the breath of God. In Job 33:4, the Bible says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. And I'm going to tell you how we can receive the breath of God after we read verses 9 and 10. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. In verses 9 and 10, the breath came because Ezekiel prophesied the word of the Lord to it. The bodies came to life because what Ezekiel was saying was God breathed. It came straight from God. And we may not always have an Ezekiel in our life prophesying over us when we're spiritually dead and dry. So many times I think we, we want a word from the Lord or we want someone else to pray for us and to prophesy over us. And God is so good to let us experience moments like that. Those moments are good. But what we often forget, and I think we need a reminder of, is that the Word of God, the Word of God, the Bible is the breath of God. And sometimes we need to prophesy over ourselves and receive for ourselves the breath of God instead of waiting for someone else to do it for us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Other versions say that all Scripture is breathed out by God. God breathed out His Word, this book that's so full of wisdom and knowledge and encouragement and revelation so that we could breathe it in. And listen, I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning because I found myself in slumps where I'm not reading God's Word the way that I should. I'm having too much output and not enough input or not any input. And in those seasons, do you know how I feel spiritually? I feel empty. I feel lifeless, spiritually dead. And we wonder why sometimes we feel like the the life has been sucked out of us, yet we have access to the breath of God daily and we choose not to use it. It's like having access to an oxygen tank when we need it and saying, no thanks, I've got this on my own. 
I can barely breathe, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I can't get up, but I'm just going to keep laying here. Listen, God has more for us than just living in survival mode every day. And let me tell you something. Not only do we need the breath of God for our own lives to stand on our own two feet, we need it so that we can stand as a vast army to revive others. When we start breathing the word of God in, we are going to be able to help but breathe it out to dry bones around us. This is how lives are revived. We need the breath, the word of God to live. If we don't breathe him in, then we can't breathe him out. Adrian, can you come play for me? Thank you. In verses 11 through 14, it's, it's like the interpretation of the vision. God's kind of explaining to Ezekiel what all of this means. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. The message version at the end of verse 14 says, God says, I said it, and I'll do it. And isn't it interesting that the bones in the valley that God brought Ezekiel to, that have been talked about so far in this passage, they were all exposed bones. And in verses 12 and 13, this is the first time that it starts talking about opening up graves, which is where we would usually find bones. Graves haven't been discussed up until now, but I think there's significance in the grave talk. Because in the grave are bones that have been buried, hidden, the bones that no one else knows about. I think God wants to bring those bones back to life too. He wants to revive the exposed and unexposed. And we have to ask God to reveal and make us aware of the bones that we have buried in our lives. And I'm not saying that so that everyone knows your business. It doesn't have to be revealed to everyone. I'm saying it to say sometimes we have things buried down so deep that we don't even realize the depths of death and devastation it has on our lives. God has to reveal it so He can heal it. And verse 14 tells us that God will put His Spirit in us. We will live. He will settle us in our own land. And I know He's talking to the Israelites and about their land. But it applies to us as well because it's prophetic to the territory that God has for us to reach for Him. 
We have to open up our graves to God and He will expand our reach for Him. And it's so important for us to understand that once spiritual revival takes place in the dead areas of our lives, God has called us to stand up and be an army for Him. And that means we're going to have to go through some battles. This is battleground Ezekiel is in the middle of. This is bad. Your life is a battleground daily that you're in the middle of. So if we want to be able to move forward in victory, we're going to have to keep breathing the Word of God in or we're going to find ourselves spiritually lifeless once again. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in a position of, of laying on the valley floor, everything looking like it's okay, but not having the breath of God. And when I reflect over this passage, I recognize it's about lives being revived. I realize it's about the resurrection power of God. And I can't help but think about the cause of death for these bones. We know it's about Israel. We know they had bones of idolatry. We know they had bones of rebellion. We know they had bones of disobedience, bones of complaining, bones of wilderness wandering. Ezekiel 37, 11 says, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. They had bones of hopelessness. And what other bones were in that valley that we don't even know about? the exposed and the unexposed. And I wonder today if God came in this room as a medical examiner and was going to try to determine the cause of death of our bones, what would it be? What happened to each of us individually that caused us to lose hope spiritually? Because for our lives to be revived, this is my last point this morning, we need to identify the cause of death that brought us to this dry place to begin with. Stand with me all over this room if you're able. I'm gonna pray this morning. And I'm just going to call out bones. I'm going to call out bones this morning. God, I pray that you would start individual revival in this room today. God, I prophesy to all the dry bones those buried and those exposed, bones of doubt, bones of depression, bones of anger, bones of regret, bones of sickness and disease, bones of failure, bones of abuse, bones of shame, bones of heartbreak, bones of bondage, bones of addiction, bones of rejection, bones of guilt, 
bones of abandonment, bones of discouragement, bones of defeat, bones of fear, bones of disobedience, bones of busyness, bones of pride, bones of anxiety, bones of suicide, bones that feel like they are long dead and too far gone. God, in any other area of spiritual death, that hasn't been mentioned today. God, just as Ezekiel spoke it, I say it. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. So God, we speak life today. Your word says that you said it and you'll do it. We call back to life the areas that the enemy thought that he had victory over. God, let lives be revived, not just so we can walk in freedom for ourselves, but God, so that we can go about the Father's business and reach others. God, your word says in Psalm 118:17, I will not die, but will live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. May the testimony of our personal revival be the catalyst that brings spiritual revival to our church, to our city, to our jobs, to our family, to our schools, and to our nation. God, let today be the day that an army rises up. Let us desire your word like never before. Breath of God. We want to breathe you in and breathe you out. God, not just on Sunday, but we want you every day of the week. God, I pray, Lord, for a spiritual craving for more of you. Fill us to overflowing, Jesus, so we can pour out on those around us. God, I pray we wouldn't be satisfied with just survival. We want revival in the name of Jesus. Expand our territory to reach others for you. Expand our comfort zone to lead others to you. Open up our hearts to the vast plan and purpose you have for our lives. Revive us, Jesus. Bring what was dead to life. Bring what was dead to life. It's in your name I pray, God. Amen. Listen, if you want prayer this morning, I'd love to pray for you. I'll be the first to say that I have some dry places in my life, <laughs> exposed and unexposed, that I want God to revive. And if I pray up here by myself, that's okay. But what I love is if I had a church army come to life too because we can reach so much more territory together than we can individually and that's why the enemy he strategizes and works so hard to keep us down because he knows we're forced to be reckoned with if you need individual revival 
in your life in any area? Then I want to pray that you get it today. You don't have to wait. You don't have to live in, in dryness any longer, in death, in defeat any longer. singing earlier and as we're singing if you want to come and receive prayer today this altar so to speak is open to you
Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.